Radio Diaries from PRX's Radiotopia is a podcast featuring first-person diaries, sound portraits, and hidden chapters of history. Their newest series, Hunker Down Diaries, tells stories of people in unexpected circumstances due to the pandemic, like hunkering down in a car, quarantining after the first date, and spending the lockdown in a pizzeria. Subscribe to the Radio Diaries podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Lou. It's a strange time out there, and we hope you're all staying safe. We want to share an episode of a show we really love called Here Be Monsters. It's a podcast about the unknown from KCRW. This episode is called Waiting for Earth from producer Bethany Denton. She gets very personal about wrestling with the idea of a life without children after having been raised in the Mormon faith to believe that her primary purpose was to become a mother. You can subscribe to Here Be Monsters wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you enjoy it. From KCRW, this is Here Be Monsters. My mom used to like to tell me that we were probably friends long before either of us were born, back when we lived in heaven. My siblings, too, all of us. She believes that the spirit is eternal and that every person who has ever been alive or ever will be, that they already exist. Like a rope that is infinitely long, with no beginning or end, our life on earth is a single knot tied in the middle. And the time that comes before that knot, that's called the pre-mortal existence. That's what the Mormon church calls it. As in, before you were born into a body of flesh and blood, your soul already existed for eons. Before you were mortal, you lived a pre-mortal existence. I studied the pre-mortal existence a lot in Sunday school, but honestly, my favorite depiction comes from this LDS musical called Saturday's Warrior. Come on, it's all part of the plan, remember? The bitter with the sweet... Hey, I know. Hey, we can be roommates at BYU. (laughs) Now, Saturday's Warrior has everything. Romance, puppets, casual references to BYU and not drinking Coca-Cola. The movie opens to a soundstage filled with white knee-length fog and lots of young Caucasian people with feathered hair wearing flowy, brightly colored tunics and nightgowns. These are eternal spirits, and this is the premortal existence. The people stroll across stage at a pace that suggests that they've never been worried or scared. One woman pirouettes in a pink dress and a serene face. And the soundtrack is that genre of adult contemporary music that I like to call wholesome disco. You know, like the Osmonds or the Carpenters. God's eternal plan.
And then when it's time to be born, one of these eternal spirits will step up onto a platform and disappear into a shimmery silhouette by way of 1980s special effects. Now is it time? Just a few more seconds, honey. Now remember, child, this family that you're going to is one of the very best, but it's still a risky proposition. Be courageous and remember who you are. Most Mormons believe that new babies can remember Heavenly Father's face and the premortal existence for a short time. But after a few months, the baby loses those memories because of something that's called the veil of forgetfulness. Now, I'm going to get technical here for a moment, so bear with me. Basically, our life on Earth is a test to see if we will choose to live a righteous life even when presented with all the earthly temptations like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Satan can't get to us when we're in heaven, but we also can't practice free agency when we're in heaven. Satan can tempt us when we live in mortal bodies that have carnal needs. On earth, we have a choice. If we choose to live a righteous life and follow the teachings of Heavenly Father, we get to return to heaven. And that's why the veil makes us forget. Because if we all remembered where we came from before we were born, it wouldn't be much of a test. Our time on earth is a way to show us and Heavenly Father who we really are the best and worst of ourselves. Fellow citizens of the planet Earth, the historic event you've all been waiting for, just arriving in all her birthday glory, the incomparable Pamphlenders! Okay, anyway, back to Saturday's Warrior. The show follows a family of spirits in the pre-mortal existence who, at the beginning of the show, are all waiting to be born on Earth. At one point, the group of seven siblings negotiate their birth order. Those aren't tears, are they? What's wrong with her? I think she's just sad, because she's the last one. And she's worried that by the time it's her turn, Mom and Dad might be out of gas. Not want her? You don't really believe that, do you, Emily? Of course, it's easy to understand why she might be worried. 1.7 kids per family, not to mention abortion. Benji, don't ever say that word. It's terrible. If people only knew what they were doing. Our family wouldn't be complete without you and me. Watching this musical again, I can see how much it informed my family's idea of the pre-mortal existence. From my mom's perspective, our family was a choice that we all made. A promise that we all made to each other. In my teenage years, I never angrily told my mother that I'd never asked to be born. Because, as far as I knew, I had. Motherhood was a non-negotiable. Like learning to drive or getting a cavity filled, motherhood wasn't a choice so much as an inevitability. It was my sacred duty to be a mother. A good mother. Not the kind of meek and deferential woman you might be picturing, but the kind of mother who is in charge of her whole family, husband included. I was a righteous daughter of God, and there were other eternal spirits waiting to be born to prove themselves worthy. For Mormons, the commandment to be fruitful and multiply isn't just about maintaining the population. It's about giving other children of God the chance to live. From the perspective of the plan of salvation, 
One of the most serious abuses of children is to deny them birth. Latter-day Saint women understand that being a mother is their highest priority, their ultimate joy. President Gordon B. Hinckley said, women for the most part see their greatest fulfillment, their greatest happiness in home and family. God planted within women something divine that expresses itself in quiet strength, in refinement, in peace, in goodness, in virtue, in truth, in love. And all of these remarkable qualities find their truest and most satisfying expression in motherhood. 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 In elementary school, I had insomnia, so my Sunday school teacher gave me a prayer to repeat on the nights when I laid awake. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Please help me find peace so that I may fall asleep. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I'd pray over and over again, sometimes compulsively. Jesus Christ, amen. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Please help me find peace so that I may fall asleep. In the name of Jesus Christ, One night I prayed and prayed but couldn't find sleep. So I did what I often did on nights like this one, and I explored my imagination. Sometimes I would imagine myself as a cat or a fox, and sometimes I would imagine what it would be like to live in Paris. Sometimes I imagine my ancestors, the pilgrims and pioneers, building homesteads in wild, unforgiving landscapes, far from the homes they'd left to survive on land they'd stolen. On this night, my mind went to heaven, and I imagined faces peering down on me from the clouds. They weren't particularly young or old, because eternal spirits don't have skin that ages or hair that turns white. But even though I didn't see them as young children, I knew that these were my future children. Maybe these were the faces of friends I'd known since the beginning of time, before I was an eight-year-old girl lying in her bed unable to sleep. Maybe we'd made promises to each other. In my mind, these faces were giddy at my current moment of clarity, excited that I could see them beyond the veil. So I started talking to them, out loud. I whispered, Hi, I'm Bethany. I'm going to be your mom. Here Be Monsters, the podcast about... Something to do with free agency. The podcast about... The unknown. When your body doesn't work, it's a terrifying thing. Out of nowhere, it felt like I got shot in the gut. You're in pain. You're confused. Because it's like I have this dirty secret, and I feel like a pervert. And often, you feel like it's your fault. I must be wrong. I must be the one who doesn't know enough. I'm Allison Barringer, and in season two of Bodies, we bring you six more medical mysteries of people fighting for answers about their health, and along the way, discovering that there's more to the story. The study almost completely erased black women and other women of color. We're talking about an $84 billion industry. And I found that there were thousands and thousands and thousands of women that had experienced this exact same thing. A river of anger and rage in me was unleashed. 
Listen to season two of Bodies by KCRW. New episodes out now. Loneliness can jump into your back pocket so quickly. Next thing you know, it's going everywhere with you. Loneliness becomes your closest friend, always there for you when you don't need it. I'm Michelle Parisi. At the bottom of a well of grief and alcohol, I wrote alone a love story. Betrayal, heartbreak, resilience, hope. Binge all three seasons of Alone, a Love Story from CBC Podcasts. They could have chosen to define her role and her essence. Both God the Father and Adam called Eve the mother of all living, and they did so before she ever bore a child. Like Eve, our motherhood began before we were born. Righteous women were endowed premortally with the privilege of motherhood. Motherhood is more than bearing children, though it is certainly that. It is the essence of who we are as women. It defines our very identity, our divine stature and nature, and the unique traits our Father gave us. President Gordon B. Hinckley stated that, quote, God planted within women something divine, unquote. That something is the gift and the gifts of motherhood. One summer, I made $20 a day babysitting. That's 100 bucks a week. I couldn't believe it. I was 14, and I had just moved to a new town and had more free time than friends. So I spent my summer with Cody and his little sister, Krista. We'd play army games and princess games, sometimes a combination of the two. They'd roll around in the dirt mounds in their backyard, and I'd stand and watch with my arms crossed. Cody wanted me to shoot imaginary guns at him, and I felt self-conscious making the noises. Krista asked me to talk in silly voices, and I couldn't conceive how this could possibly be fun for them. Sometimes I'd try to sneak in my copy of The Order of the Phoenix, though I had to be careful because Cody once proudly told me that Harry Potter was a devil worshiper. There were some days when I had to babysit Cody and Krista's young step-siblings, too. Two young kids turned into five young kids. Those days were the hardest. I didn't know how to negotiate their arguments with each other, and I didn't know how to soothe their tears, so usually I just walked away. On those days, I locked myself in the bathroom for an hour at a time, quietly crying as a little hand pounded on the door and twisted the locked handle. Are you in there, Buffy? Come pray with us. I would feel pangs of guilt in my chest, affirming that this feeling I was feeling wasn't their fault, that I was the one letting them down. Instead of feeling strong, I felt weak. Instead of feeling joy, I felt guilt.
the first commandment that God gave Adam and Eve pertained to their potential for parenthood as husband and wife. We declare that God's commandment for his children to multiply and replenish the earth remains in force. This commandment has not been forgotten or set aside in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We express deep gratitude for the enormous faith shown by husbands and wives, especially our wives, in their willingness to have children. When to have a child and how many children to have are private decisions to be made between a husband and wife and the Lord. These are sacred decisions, decisions that should be made with sincere prayer and acted on with great faith. I met Roberto when we were both 18, and that story's easy. He was my roommate's friend from high school, so she invited him over to our dorm room maybe the second or third day of college. And I still remember exactly what he looked like that day. He was wearing wiry glasses and a t-shirt that said Obama 08, and he had this huge mess of curly black hair that bounced when he walked and made his head look like a mushroom cloud. It still does. But it's harder to pin down how we fell in love, because by the time we first embraced, first kissed, it was four years after we'd met, and the love was already there. It's like one day there was just the basic compatibility of friendship, and then the next day we could both finally see that each other had been there all along. I know it sounds trite. Maybe it just feels better to say that than to say, one night we got drunk and made out and just never stopped doing that. But it all felt right and inevitable and easy. My first and only love. It's hard to imagine a time before Roberto knew the names of all my siblings, or the exact right way to stroke my hair when my body is heavy with depression, or which underwear I like to hang dry and which underwear are fine to go in the dryer on low heat. I can remember a lot of our sweet firsts as a couple. It's harder to remember our early unpleasant conversations, but I do remember one. I don't recall the context, but I know I said something to him like, when I get married to somebody, not necessarily you, it was meant to be playful. I don't want to get married, Roberto said to me, earnestly. We were driving, on our way to meet some friends, play card games, and listen to Steely Dan. His eyes were on the road. I looked at him, and then looked out the window. Oh. Like, ever? Yeah, I mean, it's an outdated institution, it's patriarchal, and I don't think it's fair that straight people can get married when gay people can't. Oh. Right, me neither. We passed a billboard for the Antiques Mall. I don't want to have kids either. Oh. It's just, I don't think it's right to have kids. Not right now. It's too expensive for our generation. I mean, childcare costs as much as rent. Yeah, I, I guess so. I didn't tell him I'd already imagined what our children might look like, wondering if they'd come out bald like I had, or if they'd have lots of dark, curly hair. And it's wasteful. The planet is overpopulated, and everyone thinks it's because people... I didn't tell him I'd already imagined the tenderness he'd show me when my belly was heavy and taut 
and that even though I hadn't seen him cry yet, I had already wondered what his face would look like when he wept with joy holding a squalling baby we'd made together. I'd already thought of two names. Felix Eduardo for a boy, Nadia Amelia for a girl. I don't know, I just don't think it's right. Are you okay? Despite our years of friendship, I wasn't ready to cry in front of him over this. I didn't want to be the crazy new girlfriend demanding commitment, but I did say to him, having children is a non-negotiable for me. Right now I hope it's with you, but I guess that could change. I didn't mean to threaten, except maybe I did. Fair enough. He looked at me and looked back at the road. I love you though. Yeah. I love you too. I smiled back at him and swallowed the lump in my throat, angry at both of us for recreating such a cliché. I imagined myself a childless old woman, widowed or divorced, forgotten in a nursing home, with nothing but time to grieve the children I'd never had. Now, you might be thinking, okay, this population issue sounds troublesome, but we should be having the babies. We're smart and we're educated and we listen to TED Talks and we can afford kids and heck, our offspring, they, they might save the world. Even my mom says, oh, Alexandra, you'd be such a good mother and your kids, they'd be wonderful. And they might be wonderful, but they would also be wasteful. Because North Americans use 32 times the resources as someone from a developing country. Roberto and I laid with our heads hanging out of the unzipped entrance to our tent. It was summer in the Metau Valley. We talked about an article I'd just read about billionaires building underground bunkers stocked with food and water and giant screens that could act like windows and project any skyline or vista they wished to pretend was outside. We talked about dwindling job opportunities in the face of automation, and we talked about the aquifers that are drying out. And that night, Roberto and I felt lucky to see the stars after a few weeks of intense wildfires in eastern Washington. We didn't know it at the time, but just a few weeks after that, the nearby towns would be devastated by even more fires. But that night, we were fortunate to be able to see the stars. We looked up at the sky, holding hands. And that was the night that I told Roberto that he was right. We can't have kids. They don't deserve the future that would be waiting for them. I cried, and he held me, and he told me he was sorry. I told him again and again. I know. I wonder if my unborn children were watching us that night. I wonder if they thanked us, or if they cursed us. 
Jimmy keep his promise? I don't know all the reasons, Emily. I know it has something to do with free agency. People just get distracted and they lose their perspective. They forget what's really important. Well, what's important to me is that I go to our family, not somewhere else. Oh, Jimmy, please remember. Please try. Many voices in the world today marginalize the importance of having children or suggest delaying or limiting children in a family. As we look into the eyes of a child, we see a fellow son or daughter of God who stood with us in the pre-mortal life. Who am I? Today, I'm 29, married, and childless. Roberto and I have been together for seven years, and now that we're married, I've settled on a good script for what to say when people ask if, or worse, when, we're going to have a baby. I smile and I say, if we decide to become parents, we plan to adopt. And usually they nod and smile, and sometimes they act as if I'm being noble, even though it's not our priority, and honestly, even if it were, we couldn't afford it anyway. Sometimes I say we might get a dog. Sometimes I say that I've thought about becoming a mentor to middle school girls. And if I'm feeling sassy, I'll tell them I think it's unethical to have babies only 12 years before the UN Climate Council predicts economic and environmental catastrophe. Or sometimes I just make a joke about the movie Idiocracy. My mom tells me that I will change my mind, and that Roberto, like most men, doesn't know yet that he wants to be a dad, but he does. My grandma urges me not to deny myself the blessings of motherhood. My sisters tell me they can't wait to see our curly-haired babies. Your kids will be so smart and so sweet and so funny, they all tell me. And when I say we can't afford it or that I'm not ready to give up my career, my mom tells me, you'll find a way. It wasn't easy for me to divorce your dad and be a single mom to three little kids, but I made it work. Sometimes I tell her I worry that my children would live as climate refugees and die of thirst. I don't tell her that I'm terrified of becoming a mother who locks herself in the bathroom for an hour at a time to quietly cry while her children wiggle the handle on the other side. I still have regular dreams about motherhood and pregnancy. I dreamt that my pregnant belly was growing on my side instead of in my front. I dreamt that I put my infant in a dresser drawer, closed it, and forgot the baby in there for a week. But more often than that, I dream about bright flashes of light and mushroom clouds overhead or being separated from Roberto by a thronging mob of people trying to escape some catastrophe. My therapist says that my core fear is being trapped. The way I see it, whatever I decide, I may feel trapped either way. Maybe it's Roberto's fault that I associate motherhood with fear instead of joy now. Or maybe the world will end the way it does in my nightmares, and my last thought before the mushroom cloud will be relief that I don't have children that have to die this way. Maybe we'll meet our unborn children in heaven, and they'll ask us how we could have forgotten the promises we made to them thousands of years ago. My family tells me I'm giving in to fear. My husband tells me I'm giving in to religious programming. Honestly, I don't know what I'm doing. I do know that one of the best 
and worst feelings I've had in the last year happened when Roberto and I went camping with my sister and her family. While my sister napped in her tent, my three-year-old nephew slipped off a bench, falling maybe two feet onto the ground, and without thinking, I jumped from my chair and picked him up in one motion and held him before he even got the chance to start crying. His little body felt so right against my chest, his little arms tight around my shoulders and his head against my neck. Oh man, August, are you okay? My brother-in-law asked. Do you want mama? My nephew pushed away from me and asked for mama. So I passed him off so that he could join my sister in her tent. I didn't know how to say, no, don't get mama, I got you. I'm right here. You're okay, I can do it. I didn't know how to tell my brother-in-law, why did you do that? Couldn't you see I was holding him? I was doing it right, I had him. You took him away. But then that's the thing. I'm just Aunt Beth. Of course he wants his mama. This episode was produced by me, Bethany Denton, and I had editing help from Jeff Emptman. Special thanks to my mom, Tammy Clark, and my husband, Roberto Molina. Thank you both for loving me in this life and in the premortal one. On this episode, you heard excerpts from talks by leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Elder Dallin H. Oaks, Elder Neil L. Anderson, and Sister Sherry L. Dew. You also heard a couple of kids' songs. They're called I Lived in Heaven and I Want to Be a Mother, both written by Janine Jacobs Brady. And you also heard an excerpt from the TED Talk, Overpopulation Facts, The Problem No One Wants to Discuss, by Alexandra Paul. We will share links to each of these talks on our website, hbmpodcast.com. And there you can also watch the full version of the LDS musical Saturday's Warrior. I had a lot of fun revisiting it while I was writing this episode. Again, we're at hbmpodcast.com. Music on this episode came from Lucky Dragons and The Black Spot. Here Be Monsters is distributed by KCRW. The senior editor there is Nick White. Additional support for freelance contributions comes from KCRW's independent producer project. Will you say, I'm Roberto Molina. Thanks for listening. More episodes soon. Okay. Just that. I'm Roberto Molina. Thanks for listening. More episodes soon. (laughs) Thank you. Is that good? Wait, uh, who are you? I am Roberto Molina. And? Your husband.
That's what I wanted. Again? Sure. Hey, I'm Allison Berenger, host of KCRW's Bodies podcast. It's kind of electric. It kind of makes my body just start to buzz. It feels like a really tight muscle spasm. And as it gets stronger, I start clenching my body, trying to make the feeling stop. What is it that's making me stay so aroused? Join us as we peel back the layers of this mystery and many more. Listen to Bodies wherever you find podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.